Hi everyone, my name is Ryan Alexander and I serve as the lead pastor at Hosanna. As we've been saying for years, we believe the Lord led you here. And we hope that what you hear today will encourage you to take a step forward in your faith journey and help you look more like Jesus. After today's message, I encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Yeah, welcome everyone. Whether you are joining us at one of our campuses right now or you're watching online, just so good to be together as a church. And uh, if I'm new to you, my name's Jason. I am the Executive Director of Engagement. And because of that, I know that most of you watching online right now, you live in and around the Twin Cities area. But I also know that some of you watching, you are watching from a different state and others from a different country. So wherever you're joining us, so glad that you are part of Hosanna. Uh, otherwise, today, today we are continuing our year-long journey through the Bible that we are calling the bigger story. We're not necessarily going verse by verse, but really mega theme by mega theme. And the goal is simple, and that is to help us live into the bigger story that God has for us through his word, rather than getting caught up in all the smaller stories that can surround us every day. And uh, for the last six weeks, we have been in the mega theme of journey. It really all started when God's people, the Israelites, were released from slavery where they had been slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. They are finally released, and that begins the journey. And if you have been tracking along with these messages, you've recognized a pattern. And the pattern is when God's people live obediently to the laws that God gave them, he blesses them. When they live disobediently, when they drift from the law, God uh, removes his hand of blessing. And that is going to be something important to remember when it comes to today's message. Also, if you've been tracking, uh, we have been highlighting each week as we go through the Old Testament what we have called the scarlet thread. How uh, every prophecy, everything points to a promised Messiah. And Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus changed everything. Which we will be talking about starting next week as we step into our next mega theme, which is called Fulfilled. Today, though, as we wrap up the theme of journey, this final message is called exile. Now, we don't use that word very often, so let me just give you the official definition. Uh, it is the state of being barred from one's native country, typically for political or punitive reasons. Now, when we planned this message a long time ago, we had no idea what would be happening in our world today. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians are currently exiled from their native country because of what's going on. And this is a little more personal for me because I have been to Ukraine multiple times on mission trips and working with pastors over there. So I've been praying about this a lot. And I know many of you have been as well. And so I just, please, as a church, can we continue to pray for the people of Ukraine, for our fellow Christ followers, that they would experience protection and peace and a swift resolution to what's happening there. It's almost unimaginable for us. Because if you're born in the United States, there is virtually no chance that we are going to be exiled from our native country. But we do see and we do experience a different form of exile. I'll give you an example. Um, several years ago, I was driving to work at my uh, prior church and I'm sitting at a stoplight and next to me is a big white Cadillac Escalade. And the only reason I remember that is because of what happened next. I hear the sound of screeching tires, and then you hear the sickening sound of metal hitting metal. A car had plowed into the back of the Escalade. And of course, your first thought is, oh my gosh, I hope everyone's okay. 
And then my immediate next thought is, how did that happen? It's clear. The roads are dry. They must have been on their phone or texting or something like that. I reach for my phone to call 911. The light turns green. And as soon, the Escalade started to turn into a nearby parking lot. And as soon as the Escalade cleared the lane, the car that hit the Escalade took off. And I was just kind of frozen for a second because I'm like, what am I seeing right now? And what I was seeing was a crime leaving the scene of an accident. And as I'm still kind of frozen there, I almost felt like the Holy Spirit grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me a little bit because I had this undeniable sense of do something. So I did. I slammed my 2003 Hyundai Sonata into drive and I floored it. I kind of felt like I was in an episode of Cops or something like that. I, I mean, I'm sure I just looked like an ordinary pastor driving an old Sonata, but I felt like James Bond, okay? So I take off following the car. The car hops on the freeway, 35. Uh, I call 911. I tell them what happened. I tell them where we are. I give them the license plate number. They put me on hold to get in touch with the state troopers as I'm in the middle of this high-speed chase which actually wasn't that high speed at all. The driver was going 70, which was the speed limit on the freeway. Uh, probably all the faster his busted up car could go. And I'm, I'm back a ways because I don't want to tip the driver off. And at the same time, I don't want to get too close because there's smoke and fluid coming out of this car like crazy. We drive for a couple miles and the driver uh, takes an exit, which conveniently enough was exactly the exit I would take to go to work. And as we come up to the stop sign, a thought hits me. What if the car is giving out? What if this guy gets out of the car and takes off on foot? Do I try to stop him? And that's when my heart really got racing because there was something in me that was like, yeah, I got to try to stop him. And trust me, I am no Chuck Norris. I mean, nobody is. Apparently, Chuck Norris and Superman had a fight and the loser had to start wearing their underwear on the outside of their pants. That's tough. And I am no Chuck Norris. But there was still something in me that was like, I think i got to try to stop him. Thankfully, that did not <laughs> become an issue because the, the driver's car did not stop. Uh, I was able to tell 911 that th this person is taking a right and I'm taking a left and I got to work even a little bit early that day. Uh, I got a, a call from the police, a follow-up call, letting me know that they arrested this individual shortly after I hung up and he was charged with DWI because his blood alcohol content was three times the legal limit. And you know where he went? Into exile, removed from his environment for punitive reasons because he broke the law. So you get the point. Like Just like we can experience a form of exile, God's people, the Israelites, experienced it in the truest sense of the word. And what led up to this is uh, there were seasons where God's people, again, they would be obedient, but then they would drift from obedience, and God would send a judge, someone to call God's people to repentance and then come back to obedience, and oftentimes that's what they would do, but then they would slowly drift away again, and God would send another judge. And this pattern just continued with the kings, the period of the kings, when the Israelites asked for a king to rule over them, like Pastor Ryan talked about last week. The same thing happened. There would be an obedient king and a disobedient king, a king that would bring blessings, a king that would bring curses. And then finally, after hundreds of years of this happening, our abundantly patient God finally did what he said he was going to do. And he allowed his people to go into exile. They were taken captive by the Babylonians where they would stay for the next 70 years. 
Now, this period in the Israelites' history is still quite relevant to us today. And here's why. Because the Israelites were forced to live in a culture that rejected the idea that there was one true God. In fact, there were multiple gods that you could worship in Babylon. You can go down to the market and buy an idol or two of whatever God you wanted to worship. They rejected the idea that there was a truth that should guide people. There was no moral plumb line for the people. The Babylonians, they wanted nothing to do with what the Israelites believed or their so-called God. Does any of this sound a little familiar today? I think in some ways, we can see ourselves as Israelites living in Babylon. These days, there is no moral plumb line that guides. If you suggest that there is one true God, that can be seen as insulting or even bigoted. To suggest there's one truth that should guide us can be viewed as just arrogant. And over the past 20, 30 years, this has been the, the spiritual direction of the United States. I mean, the fastest growing religious segment are the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, N-O-N-E-S. If they were filling out a, a questionnaire and they were asked, what religion are you? They would check the nun box. It's not that they're hostile towards Christianity or faith. It's just like they're totally apathetic. And then you add in COVID. What has happened over the last couple of years? You know, pretty much uh, every church in North America, and I would say the majority of churches in the world, all experienced the same thing. When the COVID shutdown happened, people on the fringes, the occasional churchgoer, most of the, the person who was mostly uh, not connected much at their church, they disappeared. They, they just got in the habit when we couldn't come to church together, they just got in the habit of not going to church at all, and they haven't been back, hopefully, yet. As, as a faith leader, over the past couple decades, you could look out on the spiritual horizon and you could see some little fires out in the distance. Uh, COVID fanned those flames into a full-on wildfire. Now, I don't want you to think that I am blaming culture, I, that I'm just kind of like wagging a finger, finger at culture and you know, blaming it for everything because the truth is we own some of the responsibility for where we find ourselves. Just like the Israelites were ultimately responsible for their exile, we own some of this. The big C church in America owns this. We and generations that went before us, we are responsible for where we find ourselves today. Because for generations, there were churches that were just known for their finger pointing and their yelling and their hypocrisy and being known for what they were against rather than what they were for. Now, I don't wanna be all doom and gloom, because we do live with the promise of Jesus who said that he will build his church and not even the gates of hell will overcome it. Not the gates of hell, not COVID, not culture. He is continuing to build his church. And by the way, we still have a mission to do. God gave us, his followers, our marching orders just as he was ascending to heaven when he said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the very important last part of what's called the Great Commission and he said, remember this, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. We are still called to be spiritual influence right where God has us, regardless of the spiritual condition of culture. So if our mission has not changed, the question we have to answer is, how do we faithfully live as exiles in culture today? We got a great example in the person of Daniel. 
So if you brought your Bible or you got your Bible app and you want to follow along, go ahead and open it up to Daniel chapter 1. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, don't worry about it. The verses are going to be up on the side screens. If it helps, um, Daniel is just past center in your Bible. Okay, so before we jump in, let me just set the scene. It is 605 B.C., uh, God has allowed the Babylonians to conquer the Israelites and the nation of Judah. Uh, the king at the time was Nebuchadnezzar, very powerful, very feared king. And it was his practice that he would, after conquering a land, he would take the best and the brightest of the men, the, the most beautiful of the women, back to Babylon. He would leave the remnant in the conquered country for them to peacefully live under the king's rule. Daniel and his three friends were part of that group that got taken to Babylon where uh, they would eventually serve in the king's court. Okay, so with that as a backdrop, let's, Daniel chapter one, starting in verse one, and I definitely need the cheaters. Okay, verse one. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's, Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects, ob objects from the temple of God, so Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Okay, just quick pause there. This again was common by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he'd conquer a land, he'd take some of the sacred objects back to his treasure house, and it was just a way of saying, my God is way better than your God. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse three. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were meant, they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Okay, a couple things to note here. Number one, it's going to take them three years of training. Three years, because the Israelites have to learn a completely new language. Then once they learn the language, then they have to read the important texts of Babylon, the important pieces of literature. They have to learn how to live in this new culture, live under this new king. The goal was total indoctrination. Forget what you knew, embrace what is new. Forget the old, live into this new reality that you have. And then the king took it a step farther and he gave all four of them new names. Uh, he, he changed Daniel's name to Belshazzar and his three friends became uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And each of those names is connected to a different Babylonian god. Uh, something else to note that could be easily overlooked is the fact that the king is giving him food from his own kitchen. And the reason this is important because it's hard to overstate the gap that existed between people who, who ate inside the palace versus how people ate outside of the palace. So at first blush, this can feel like a good thing. Like after all, no chance of starvation, better chance to stay healthy. I mean, you're eating the same food as the king is eating. But look how Daniel responds. Verse eight. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Now, why did Daniel respond this way? It could be because uh, the food wasn't kosher. It was on the list of do not eat foods that God had given the Israelites, like pork. It could be that the food and wine that was given to them was first offered as a sacrifice to a Babylonian God. Either way, Daniel determined 
not to defile himself. Another translation says, he resolved not to defile himself. And my favorite translation says, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. What Daniel and his friends are showing us is the simple but incredibly powerful principle for living faithfully as exiles. And it's simply this, set your boundaries. Set your boundaries. Plan ahead of time. The person you are going to be in different situations, how you're going to act and react in them. Just draw a spiritual line in the sand and set your boundaries. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they had no idea if they would ever leave captivity. And you had to figure that the temptation was there to just kind of like, okay, I will abandon my old ways and just live like the rest of culture around me. But what we're finding and what we will continue to find is that they purposed in their heart a long time ago the person they were going to be, long before their land was conquered, long before they were shipped off to some place called Babylon. And we need to do the same. I'll give you a small example of this. Um, my wife Amy and I, we've been married for more than 30 years, and uh, early on in our marriage, I freely admit that I was young and very dumb. Because even though I was married and we had one young child with another one on the way, I still thought that I could do all the things that I used to do before I was married. So I still played softball. I still went golfing occasionally. I still hung out with my friends, many of whom were still single. I had to learn the hard way that that is not a recipe for a strong, healthy marriage. Who knew? It obviously led to incredible tension and conflict in our relationship to the point or we, we just knew we needed help. So we went to Christian counseling. And not for one or two times, for a year and a half. I am a huge fan of counseling. I learned so much about myself. I, I learned so much about how to act as a husband in, in a marriage. And it got to the point where we, Amy and I, we resolved that we were gonna focus on our marriage and we were gonna focus on our faith. And one of the boundaries that we set, we, we just drew a line in the sand that we were going to step back from that friend group for a season. That we were going to invest in relationships that were going to help us grow and look more like Jesus. I am, I'm really happy to say that our marriage has never been stronger, but I, 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 I think about where we could have been if we had not set that boundary way back then. Now, setting a boundary might seem simple, it is not easy. It takes forethought and planning and determination ahead of time. And one of the ways you can approach this is just look in your past. Where are the places that you have been tempted in or you have failed in in the past? That is a great place to start setting a boundary. For example, maybe, maybe you struggle with sarcasm. The thing about sarcasm is it, it, it wounds those who are most important to us because often we use that weapon with our family. So maybe you just have to resolve in your heart that you are going to respond with encouragement and affirmation. Even though that biting comment is right there on the tip of your tongue, you're going to purpose in your heart that you're going to respond with more kindness, which I promise you is going to lead to more peace in your household. Another way you can approach it, play the movie forward. And in light of how God wants you to live, in light of your future hopes and dreams, what do you have to resolve to do or not do to in, order, in order to become the person that God wants you to become? 
You know, maybe you're reading through Proverbs and you come across the, the verse that says, the borrower is slave to the lender. And you're just like, I, I don't want to be a slave to debt. Well, what you have to purpose in your heart to do is always live below your means. You have to resolve, I'm not going to allow my lifestyle to keep bumping up against my income. I'm always going to live with financial margin, which will lead to so much less stress financially and less stress in your marriage. It'll give you the ability to live generously towards yourself, others, and God. Again, it might sound simple. It is not easy. It takes focus. It takes grit. Because as soon as you, you create a boundary, you're going to run into a situation that is going to tempt you to cross that boundary. And guess what? We are going to fail from time to time. But we don't do this under our own power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit helping us along the way. So we, uh, we just need to be people. When we cross that line, we pick ourselves up. We dust ourselves off. We ask for the Holy Spirit's help. We take responsibility. We ask for forgiveness when necessary. And we redraw that line in the sand. Now notice what I'm not recommend, recommending that we do. I'm not recommending that we pull away from culture. I'm not recommending that we isolate ourselves from culture like our Amish friends do. And that's partly because that's, I say that because that's not what Daniel and his friends did. They, they leaned into culture. They, they embraced the full part of uh, all of the three years of training so that they could do everything they were asked to do with excellence. As a matter of fact, take a look at verse 17. As they leaned into the training, this was the result. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was complete, the chief of staff brought all of the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel and his friends, they did not isolate. They leaned in to culture to do it all with excellence. And we need to do the same. I mean, it's okay to be people who embrace the best parts of culture because not all culture is bad. We need to continue to be people who lean in and, and influence spiritually with the people who are around us while at the same time standing firm on God's principles of love and compassion and humility. And when we are tempted, we run into a, a person or a situation that tempts us to sin, it is our crystal clear boundaries that are going to help us look more like Jesus and point people to our one true God. Now, as you continue to read through the book of Daniel, which, by the way, we're going to be doing that in our morning Facebook devotions this week. Uh, but as you read through Daniel in chapter 3, you're going you're to see how Nebuchadnezzar built a 90-foot high statue and ordered everyone to kneel before the statue. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they, they resolved a long time ago that there's only one person they're going to kneel to. And when they refused, the king was furious and he ordered them thrown into a fiery furnace. And when they emerged unscathed, unburned, the king said this, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There is no other God who can rescue like this. And then when you get to chapter 6, you're going to read how the king was tricked into making a decree that everyone is to pray to him for the next 30 days. And again, Daniel, he purposed in his heart a long time ago, there's only one person he's praying to. And when news got back to the king about what happened, he, 
He, he was just sick. And uh, I'm sorry, when Daniel heard about the, the decree uh, that he was supposed to pray only to the king, this is what Daniel did. Uh, he went home. He knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. And then when the news got back to the king, he was totally sick because he liked Daniel. He valued Daniel, but yet he needed to enforce his decree. So he ordered Daniel be thrown into a den full of lions. And that night he couldn't sleep. The king could not sleep. He was beside himself. And in the morning, he, he runs to the den of lions and he shouts down, Daniel, did your God save you? And out came Daniel, untouched because the Lord had closed the, the lions' mouths. And after seeing that, the king sends a message to the entire nation that he rules over. And he said, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. When we set our boundaries, when we plan ahead of time who, are, who we are going to be in different situations, how we're going to act and react, it helps us look more like Jesus. And it points people to our one true God. Our one true God, by the way, who exiled Jesus from heaven. Not because he was disobedient, but because we were disobedient. Jesus stepped out of heaven as an ultimate act of love and grace on our behalf. And here is the scarlet thread in the story of Daniel. The story of Daniel and the story of Jesus are similar in so many ways. Daniel is a foreshadow of Jesus. Just like Daniel shows us how to faithfully live as exiles, Jesus shows us how to do that, but he did that perfectly. And because of his love and grace that he lavished upon us, he serves as our ultimate model and motivation to want to live faithfully as exiles. And here's the thing. As we do this as individuals, do you know what kind of church we're going to look like? In fact, I'll tell you what kind of church we're not going to look like. We are not going to look like a church who is sitting back on the sidelines and pointing a finger at culture and just blaming it for being bad. And, you know, we're not going to play the spiritual victim card. No, we are going to be a church who is living on purpose for a purpose. We will be living out what the prophet Jeremiah wrote to the people in exile in Babylon when Jeremiah was speaking on behalf of God. And he said, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. That is what we will be doing. We are still to be a spiritual influence right where God has us. We still have a mission to make disciples of all nations. So, what boundaries do you need to set? Again, look back at your past, where you've been tempted, where have you failed before? That's a great place to start. Play the movie forward in, in light of how God wants us to live, in light of your future hopes and dreams. What do you have to resolve to do or not do to become the person that God wants you to become in your relationships, your marriage, as a parent, as a friend, as a follower of Jesus? Will it be easy? No. Doing worthy things rarely is easy. Could it cost you a friendship? Good. Could it get your boundaries mocked and ridiculed? Maybe. Will it give you influence and favor with those who are far from God? I believe it can. 
because the nuns in your life, and we all have nuns in our life, those who have no religious affiliation whatsoever, they are still looking for meaning and purpose. And when they look at you and me, doing our best to live with integrity, doing our best to live with love and patience and peace and self-control and kindness, hopefully, I think there's a good chance that they would say about you and me the same thing that the people said about Daniel. When they said he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. May that be said of us as we do our best to live faithfully as exiles. Uh, eventually, the Israelites were released from captivity. Eventually, they reestablished themselves as a nation. But 400 years would go by with no real prophet and no word from God. Just silence. Just God's people uh, anticipating the promised Messiah. And then one day, an angel appears to a young lady and tells her that she's going to give birth to a baby boy. And that is where we're going to pick up the story next week as we step into the next mega theme called Fulfilled. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, this principle that you are showing us through Daniel, uh, it might sound simple, but it is not easy. But Lord, we know we don't do this under our own power. We know that we have your help, your strength, your guidance. So Father, I pray for a stirring inside each one of us. I, I ask for prayerful reflection honest reflection about what boundaries do we need to set, what habits need to change, what new patterns need to be established. Father, we are trusting you because you are the one who is wise. You are the one who can guide, and we live with the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, thank you. But, Lord, we close today by simply lifting up the, the people of Ukraine. It is unthinkable what is happening right now. We pray for protection. We pray for provision. We pray for peace, a peace that only you can bring. And we pray for a, a, a speedy resolution to this. We fully admit you are in control. But as your followers, we are crying out to you. Do what only you can do. As we do what only we can do. And that is pray. And it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand as I send you off with this ancient blessing today.